Welcome back to Pro Football Network's premier fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, BJ Riddell. With me, as always, is PFN fantasy analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. Uh, we're talking, uh, it's late March, it's March 30th, so we're still talking off-season. We will be talking off-season for a while, but every episode is chock full of something you can use going into the summer, going into your draft. Some of you are drafting uh, any time now. Some of you are drafting right after the NFL draft. If you're in dynasty leagues or maybe even in a very ambitious redraft league. Today, Katz and I are going to walk through the first round, maybe even touch on the second round of a mock redraft. We're going to walk through kind of the strategy that we use uh, to uh, uh, approach a first round pick, which feels like really, it feels like a job interview, doesn't it? When you pick for in the, in the first round, it's like you have to nail this. Otherwise, everyone's going to laugh at you and you're going to be unemployed. And both of those are terrible feelings. And so the first round really is this critical thing. We sometimes make a really big deal out of it, and we should. But at the same time, uh, we can take a step back and think about, all right, what are the possibilities? Do we want to go high ceiling? Do we want to go high floor? Obviously, high ceiling is the answer, but sometimes a high ceiling guy who's risky is not worth it. So, Katz, I'm going to throw this to you to get things started. Uh, last year, can you think of a draft that you did and uh, what your what your process was, where you picked in the first round, and what your process was for who you ended up choosing? I typically pick toward the back end, not by choice. My name just happens to come out of the uh, the hat for the lottery a little earlier than everyone else's. When we do our draft orders, it's typically we go 12 to 1. Uh, so my name's always coming out early. I'm getting one of those late picks. And I don't get I don't get to pick the first and second overall guys, th- those top guys that you're really confident in. When you, you don't sound bitter back end, about it at all, <laughs> by the way. No, n- not at all. I picked like from the 11 slot, I think four out of seven years. But no, that doesn't upset me at all. No, I, I, I don't want the advantage of the early guys that were more confident. But that's neither here nor there. You got you have to work with what you're given. When I pick toward the back end, it's a little different than picking on the top end because with each successive pick, the players get a little bit riskier. Now, every player has some degree of risk, but when you pick toward the back end, there's typically not even a single player where you're like, yes, I am absolutely sure this guy is going to smash for me. And when I'm picking in the first round, you mentioned it before in the intro. Yeah, there, there are a lot of people out there who say, you can't win your draft in the, in the first round, but you can lose it. And that's certainly true. If you go and draft uh, someone in the first round who ends up like, like the example I like to use is back in 2013, Trent Richardson, you took him in the first round, you probably lost your league, something like that. But you also, you have to play to win the game. Herm Edwards said it best. So even when I'm picking on the back end, I want a type of player that has not just like, uh, top three, top one upside at his position, but I want the weak winning upside. It's why last year, when given the option between someone like Nick Chubb or just taking a receiver like in Tyree Kill, who I ended up going with when I picked in this 11 slot, I went with Tyree Kill because he has that weak winning upside. He has overall wide receiver one upside. Nick Chubb, as talented as a runner as he is, is not someone I would ever put on my team in the first round because there is no RB1 upside. There is no top five upside. It's never going to happen with Nick Chubb. It is not in his range of outcomes. So when I'm looking at a first round pick, that is primarily what I'm looking for. I want somebody that can make a difference for my team. You hit me hard with that Nick Chubb call because I pushed him uh, big last summer in spite of the fact that uh, of what you're saying. 
because uh, he was uh, in in 2020 he was on pace for uh, basically a 1600 yard total yard 16 touchdown season across a full season and my thinking was if you can get a guy like that in the first round who cares that he can't be a 2000 yard guy Nick Chubb is one of the most talented running backs and so that's an example of an uber high floor granted that didn't work out either he got hurt and the Browns were dysfunctional um, but to your point yeah there's a there's a, a logic to that which is that if you're if you're drafting a running back and you know that running back is not going to be a monster uh, touch running back that they're going to be splitting touches um, to some degree there's inherent risk in that um, and and I'll build on it and say I and and for me, it's the reverse, Cats. I've often, uh, when my random name has been picked on the ESPN or whatever other you know online uh, uh, leagues that I'm in, uh, uh, picks my name, I'm usually first or second more often than, than anything else, which uh, frustrates the heck out of me uh, because uh, the top picks are usually fool's gold uh, in fantasy. The top five ADP running backs this last year uh, three of them finished outside the top 15 overall. Three of them were basically busts. Um, the year before that, two of them were major busts. The top two, Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley, um, were disasters if you picked first or second. Um, the year before that was an anomaly. Uh, but then you go back to, and you know, I, I keep all this stuff handy, 2018, if you picked Le'Veon Bell, uh, hoping that he would return from his holdout, uh, you got zero. And he was going in the first round. Uh, 2017, I remember taking, picking David Johnson with the first overall pick, got hurt in game one, uh, finished outside the top 100. Uh, and then, you know, going back to, to 2016 with a you know, bunch of uh, guys who didn't uh, produce. And then finally, 2015, uh, where four of the uh, five of the top six guys uh, in the draft running backs didn't finish in the top 30 among running backs. The, the overall when you're picking first, second, third, and you think, great, I'm getting the top running back, you have to keep in mind, yeah, and that running back has to produce because by the time it comes back to you, you're taking the 20th, 25th, 28th, depending on the size of your league, best player, and you better hope that number one guy that you've gotten produces at a premium compared to the guys that other that your opponents are picking where Katz is picking, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th. Um, so cats this year, who's your, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing everyone's going to pick the same player first overall, but I don't think it's as obvious as everyone says it is. And I could say, give a bunch of reasons why, but I'll throw it to you. Who would you take first overall? Is it as obvious to you as it is to most people playing the game? Yes. I think that this is one of those years where there's no debate. It's Jonathan Taylor. He's the first overall pick. If you're making a case for anybody else. The only consideration that I would submit would be Cooper Cup because of how dominant he was last year. And I completely buy into it as something that, that can be sustained. Um, I would consider, I don't want to jump the gun on, on what we would discuss next, but I would consider Cup as early as second overall simply because I just completely buy into him as this dominant alpha wide receiver one. The offense is going to be the same. Everyone's back. Yes, Allen Robinson is there, but Robert Woods is gone. So it's the same exact target share for Cooper Cup. He outscored the wide receiver to Devontae Adams by 4.2 fantasy points per game. I think it was the largest disparity between wide receiver one and wide receiver two, uh, 
possibly in like 20 years. I, I looked it up a couple weeks ago. Don't remember exactly, but it was, it was a massive disparity. And he gave you yes. that significant edge at the position, which is what almost, I think Jonathan it was, Taylor. It was Travis Kelsian uh, from the year before where Travis Kelsey was just the reason why so many people picked Travis Kelsey in the first round last year is because they were, they thought they were getting that three, four, five, six point advantage over every other, you know, TE one um, who people could throw out there. So, so to your point and everyone listening, you know, this, this can seem obvious and yet we don't always think this way. Uh, those point differentials, if we're correct, make a huge difference. It's why M Michael Thomas was a very popular first round pick two years ago, uh, coming off his monster season because everyone assumed, well, if I can get Michael Thomas at 24 points a game versus some other receiver, I could get around later at 20 points per game. Of course, Michael Thomas makes sense in the first round. You're locking in elite points. It doesn't even matter what the position is. 24 points a game, you don't argue with. Um, and now we've got cats. Obviously, Devontae Adams is kind of out of the picture. Not really, but he is because Derek Carr is not the same quarterback as Aaron Rodgers, even though Carr and Adams go back a long way. And Adams is, is, uh, has much more competition for receptions now uh, with Renfro, with Darren Waller. Um, and so there's some question. We could see a little bit of regression from Devontae Adams. We could see regression from Tyreek Hill. Pat, Pat Mahomes isn't throwing to him anymore. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is no longer elite. Uh, Calvin Ridley's out of football, uh, suspended. Uh, so really, you've got Cooper and Michael Thomas. Who knows what you're going to get out of him? So if you look back over the wideouts who might have gone in the first round over the past few years, I'll, I'll throw in Julio Jones in that mix, because uh, up until 2020, he was a top five uh, preseason uh, receiver. Um, there's no one you can rely on who you used to be able to rely on in the top five. Cup seems to be kind of the last man standing. And, and, yeah, and I'm, I'm throwing it back to you just to say that it sounds like your reasoning makes sense because there's no other obviously receiver except, and I'll say this, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Can they take it to the next level? What are your thoughts on Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase? Could they be, could they take that next step forward where they are 22, 23, 24 points a game receivers? I'm glad you brought those two guys up because that's going to be a real story. And, and these things start to kind of like coalesce and, and come into focus more as you get closer to August and September, when the bulk of drafts occur, it's okay. What guys am I, do I feel really confident about? And that, and where does that confidence level start to, to drop a little bit? And at the wide receiver position for me, cup is the clear number one. And I think he's a step above everybody else. Then I have Justin Jefferson and Jamar chase as those next two guys. And they're both, wow incredibly young Jefferson in his third season chasing the second season, both still getting better, both the clear wide receiver ones, and they have the consolidated target share on their offenses where with Minnesota, it's just Jefferson Thielen, and the running backs in Cincinnati. It's just chase Higgins. And then Mixon gets his work. I know Tyler Boyd is there, but he is a distant third option. I think we saw that right. very clearly in 2021. So I do think the upside is there. For these guys to be even better, all it would take is a little bit of touchdown variance. I mean, last season, Jefferson, 108 catches, 1,616 yards, 10 touchdowns. That goes up to you know, 13, 14, which is certainly realistic. Then he then he he goes over 20, 20 fantasy points per game. Jamar Chase just is a little bit more volume. Had 128 targets. That could easily go up to 150. 81 catches. That could push 100, which puts his 1,400 yards 
closer to maybe 1,700. He already had the touchdowns. So both of those guys can certainly get there, and I feel very good about them, more so at the one-two turn area. But I think the bigger question is, what do you do strategically when you have, let's say you have three receivers that you're super confident in. You got Cup, Jefferson, and Chase. And at running back, you know that the most valuable asset in fantasy football is the elite running back. But you also know those are riskier than any of the wide receivers. Right. So at what point do you say, okay, I'm taking the shot on getting that running back and foregoing the certainty that you feel is the wide receiver. And this is something I struggle with every year. So I'll throw it back to you. What are, what are your thoughts on, on the whole balance between uh, needing the elite running back, but also wanting the, uh, the higher probability of success you get from a wide receiver? Yeah, it's a, and it, it's so much of it depends on where I'm drafting because last year I know that if I had been drafting at the, at the 14, 15 turn in my 14 team league, I was prepared to go Joe Mixon, um, who I had as my number five overall running back, even though he had an RB13 ADP. I was prepared to go Mixon. And I don't want to lie and say I would have gone Jonathan Taylor because Taylor was undervalued last year. We A lot of people forget that. Uh, Jonathan Taylor was uh, preseason RB10 overall. Um, and so, you know, Taylor probably would have been gone realistically by that point although people were reaching for travis kelsey um for good reason but they were going travis kelsey i think i would have gone in that case i would have just locked into elite bell cow you know not elite but two guys who i really believed in running backs i would have gone joe mixon and antonio gibson probably at that at that those are my two guys i was trying i was trying to get those i remember i was in the league that was 14 teams and of course you'll never guess where i picked 14 and (laughs) my goal I, it's 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 every year. My my goal was to get Mixon and Gibson. I ended up only getting one of them, but That's those hilarious. are the guys I was talking. To. We were on the same page. We didn't even know each other back then. We, we did not have imagined that we would be talking about uh, your your real and me hypothetical uh, draft. But I'll be honest with you. I I would love to draft at the fourteen fifteen turn. One of, one of the best drafts I ever had uh, a few years ago uh, was picking at the turn. And going uh, in the middle rounds, grabbing, uh, and we've talked about this, I think, on a podcast maybe a month ago, but just grabbing uh, backfields where there seemed to be one lead guy, but you didn't know if the other guy was going to catch up. And I remember the 8-9 turn picking uh, you know, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams because they were both ranked in the 30s at that point. And it made total sense. And you can only do that if you pick at the turns. I'm a big fan of picking at the turns. I, I don't like picking first, but if I pick first, I'm fine with first. I don't like picking second. And this last year, for example, I picked second and uh, I went Camara. I froze um, and uh, I hate admitting that. You know, I, I froze because I felt like, well, Camara um, is safe. Camara uh, is going to get me the points that I need, but I didn't buy into Camara as an elite running back this year. I thought it was going to be a very one-dimensional offense, and uh, and I was worried about defenses stacking the box against Camara. And after the first week, uh, I saw what I needed to see, and I traded high. You know, I sold him high, but um, you know, it's uh, uh, he still had a terrific season, but he wasn't the elite Camara that we'd come to know. And I think that's the pressure in those when you're picking early. Like if you're picking third overall and you pick Cooper Cup, people might laugh and they might say, oh, what are you doing? You're picking Cooper Cup, even if it's a smart move. But if you're picking 10th, 
and you're picking Justin Jefferson, I guarantee you people aren't going to laugh because at that point people get the fact that you're taking you're taking a chance on Antonio Gibson rebounding or you're taking a reliable WR1. And yeah. and there's less scrutiny that's involved with that. And I think so much, and I want you to get into this, Cats, a little bit if you can. I think so much of the pressure that people feel with drafting, especially in the first round, is the scrutiny of getting something wrong. Uh, that, oh my gosh, I'm going to take somebody and and if I take this person, I'm going to have to live with the consequences for the rest of the season with my buddies because they're going to look back and say, oh my, I cannot believe you drafted Saquon Barkley. Like, I can't believe you did that. And you're going to think, well, I think this year is going to be different and you might have your reasons for it. But you know, if you do something that isn't safe, you're going to get scrutiny. And and I'll, before I pass it to you, Katz, I remember back in 2000 and I think it was 11. Uh, I, uh, in my friend's draft, no longer in my friend's league. Um, and the reason is because I've counseled people on this on the on the uh, PFN Facebook page. When a league changes its rules in the middle of the season, I'm out of the league. Like, you know, there's no change in rules. In this case, they changed the rules on who gets to the playoffs in the middle of the season. It was ridiculous. But in that season, I drafted Marshawn Lynch in the 10th round. And I remember the commissioner, old friend of mine, laughed. And he's just like, man, you are desperate. And I said, hey, he's the only starting running back left in the draft. Like, of course I'm taking Marshawn Lynch. And this was before Marshawn Lynch was Marshawn Lynch. And But you, I had to second guess myself. I had to sit there and go, I just make a huge mistake because my buddy thinks it was stupid. And do I know what I'm doing here? And that can rattle people in a draft. So throwing it to you, Katz, to what extent does peer pressure, psychology, all that stuff play in when you are drafting? Do you just block it all off? because you're a professional and you're Jason Katz, better known as Katz, or are you human, flesh and blood, just like the rest of us, and you uh, uh, succumb to the temptation of giving in to the, uh, the idiosyncrasies and scrutiny of your opponents? One thing that I must say I've benefited from over the recent years, probably the past Honestly, honestly, probably my entire fantasy career. I've always thought very highly of myself. I know this is going to sound super conceited, but I was well, always we'll kind of immune, that, don't worry. <laughs> I was always immune to that sort of criticism because if anything, I was the guy doling out that type of criticism if if, if it was gonna be uh like said that I'm the one who tells you that your pick is bad. You don't tell me my pick is bad. <laughs> so <laughs> so it was if I'm taking a guy that looks like a reach or something, I don't care because I'm just super confident in my evaluations. But I completely understand where you're coming from for other people who may not be as confident in their own knowledge. That that fear that oh I'm taking this guy where I shouldn't take him oh he usually goes in round four but it's only round three but if I don't take him now I may not get him and that type of stuff creeps in and you can do all the mocks in the world but it, it none of them will prepare you adequately for being on the clock faced with the decision that's actually going to impact the next seventeen weeks of your fantasy like life you it's it's not the same there are plenty of times in mocks I'll do things and then when I get on the clock I'm like oh I can't really do that. Uh, so, so it's 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 just, it's just not the same. Can you, you have to make you think of an example or a hypothetical, something that you would do in a mock? Like I could see taking you know taking Josh Allen in the second round just to see what what would happen then as you play it out or something like that. But can you think of a real example or or an imaginary one that you could go into this season where you would you would mock it, but you wouldn't actually pick a guy that early uh, in a real draft where where the scrutiny is going to hit you right away. 
I can't give you an example right now because it's March and I've done no mock drafts and won't do any mock drafts for quite some time. But I can give you an example maybe from last year where in that same 14-team league, we got to the third round and I was thinking like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a quarterback. And I ended up actually taking Josh Allen there. And it's, it's one of those things where I normally would never do that. I actually did it in that spot. In most situations, I probably would have said, no, let me shy away from this. And in retrospect, it didn't work out because the guy I took Josh Allen over was Cooper Cup. Uh, so that wow. it cost me the entire, I know Allen was the QB one, but that decision cost right. me the entire season. I legit missed the playoffs because of that one decision by one game. I would have won at least three more matchups if I had Cup and wow. any other quarterback. I just got to say that is highly unusual. All of you listening uh, to, to get to the third round and not just the third round, but if my math is correct, you know, you're, you're picking 42nd at that point. And, and you have your choice of if you knew, if you didn't know what the numbers would be, but you knew you could get the number one quarterback at that spot or the number one receiver, not knowing what cup would, you know, going into this season, let's imagine, if you could do that again, Cats, would you lock in the number one receiver and, and call it a great day at number 42, or would you lock in the number one quarterback? Well, part of the reason I took Allen there is because I had taken digs at the one-two turn. I didn't get Mixon and Gibson. I only got Gibson. I took Diggs and I was like, okay, let me stack him with Josh Allen because that'll give me massive weekly upside. Right. And like the logic, it both worked and it didn't. It worked because I got that, but Diggs wasn't as good as he was the year prior. And obviously Cup had what is probably the single greatest, it is, is the single greatest yeah, fantasy receiver single. season of all time. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, of course you would take that at any point. I, I think that if, if we redrafted, in 2021, like if we were drafting right now for a 2021 league where you would play matchups throughout the season, as it went down in 2021, Cup would go first overall, right? So I think no, no matter what, he was the best fantasy player in 2021. So it, Not, was, it was the wrong decision, but like I don't necessarily regret it. I just wish I had made the one that had better results. There, there's people listening out there who are doing the same math I'm doing, which is you had two picks, right? So you, you, you <laughs> grabbed Gibson and Diggs in the first, second turn. At the third, fourth turn, you picked Allen. Who was your other pick? Uh, I'm trying to remember who that was. For some reason, it, it, I like blanked it out. It it might have been was I, it I Allen Robinson. Looking, it was not Allen Robinson. I actually I only took him in one league in an auction league, but I managed to avoid him uh, pretty much <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> but I, I I wish I remembered who that was. But that would have been that would have been one of the greatest teams of all time. Uh, just uh, you know, you to build a team around. Uh, uh, Josh Allen and Cooper Cup. I would think uh, you would be uh, uh, you would if if Gibson hadn't been you know hurt during the, and there's always those ifs and all that stuff. But that would have been just about as good a top four that you could realistically imagine doing uh, in in a fantasy draft. So remember right. who it was. It was Tyler Lockett. Okay. All right. Well, so Lockett over Cup, and then I took Josh Allen over Cup also. So that wasn't the best. Not the best, but again, in hindsight, and, and for folks listening, right, we, you know, this is an example where we can laugh at cats, ha ha, but of course we can't because we were all in those shoes. And unless you drafted Cup in the first three rounds or in the fourth round, if you were, no. And the fact is Lockett um, had been healthier than Cup and Lockett was in the same boat. Lockett was a co-number one, essentially. And Cup was a co-number one. Um, and, you know, you've got Russell Wilson throwing, you've got Matthew Stafford throwing. In a, in a new offense, if you had a chance to do it again, 
you know, what are you going to do? And in fact, if you go back at, at ADP and, uh, you know, not that Katz needs uh, me to come to his defense on this, but this is how tough drafting is. I'm looking at it right here and, and my eyes are starting to go on me. So uh, maybe because it's late in the day, but Cooper Cup w was the uh, uh, WR18 and uh, Tyler Lockett was the WR19 last year. So, you know, it, you could not have predicted easily unless you somehow knew something that most people didn't, the cup would be wildly more successful, almost doubly successful in terms of fantasy points, cup almost doubled Lockett's total. And that can be all the difference in a draft, which goes back to, this is the last thing then, Katz, before we sign off for today, which is, um, I forgot if it was the beginning of this podcast or right before the podcast when we were just chatting, where it's kind of that idea of, you know, you, you can't win a draft in the first round, but you can lose it. And is that, is that the case? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. I've always argued that, that you win a draft um, in the later rounds. Um, that's when you win. You win with those guys. You take the, you know, the Jamar Chases of the world that people forget about because Jamar Chase was the you know, 29th ranked receiver last year. Kenny Galladay was the 30th ranked. If you had a choice between, and, and Chase was sandwiched between Jerry Judy and Kenny Galladay. So if you had a choice last year, at your turn between Judy, Chase, and Galladay, arguably your season hinged on whether you chose correctly. And I think there's a lot more of those um, dramatic decision points that we don't even know are dramatic until after the fact that occur in the later rounds than they do in the first couple rounds. Because the first couple rounds, you're just, you're going for, you know, 15, 18, 20 points a game. That's what you're hoping for, depending on the position and the round. First round, 20 plus points, second round, 18 plus points, roughly, you know, third round, take an elite QB or, or, or go for a 16 point guy, whatever it is. But in those later rounds, there's still 16, 18 point guys there. You just don't know who they're going to be. So Katz, I'm going to throw it to you for the last word. What are your thoughts on those later rounds? Do you stress more in the later rounds or the early rounds? Let's say the first four, is that where you really, you're, you're, I'm trying to make sure you get that right. There, there's always going to be elements of of luck and randomness in fantasy football, not just in a we, in the way the games play out or matchups or anything like that. There's also in drafting because especially so in a snake draft, but even so in an auction, because I'll give you two examples, both involving Cooper Cup that kind of illustrate this point and why sometimes you just, sometimes it's your macro strategy that ends up being the biggest um the biggest uh, boon to your success this or this past season in the, in those like rounds three four five i was taking wide receivers there in every league in an auction draft in that in, the, in that like uh 18 to like 30 dollar range i'm looking for wide receivers and all i was looking for is one of a group of guys in an auction it was like okay out of these out of these seven or eight guys i want the one that i perceive to be a value if i i know what their prices are so if one of them is going for less than I think he should, I'll take that guy. And it turns out in one of my auction leagues that ended up being Cooper Cup. He went for 20 bucks, whereas guys like Phelan, Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett, Amari Cooper, similarly valued guys were going for 25 plus. So I only took Cup because he was he was the value. I wasn't actively targeting Cup. Wow. Same thing in the in the snake draft. I picked at the I picked two in this league actually. I actually ended up getting a high pick and and it was the end of the fourth round. And I'm looking at a bunch of guys, including Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett, um, DJ Moore was in that group. 
and one of them was Cooper Cup, and all the other guys went. So I took Cup because he was the last one left, and I was fine with that. It turns out he should have been the one I was actively pursuing, but merely being fine with that allowed me to draft him and gave me a chance to hit on those guys. Because the reality right. is, the ability to predict those guys, I don't, I'm sure that there's, there are people out there who saw this coming to an extent, but the reality is, when it comes to guys like Cooper Cup or somebody like Jamar Chase in, or, or Debo Samuel as another example of a late round guy, you know, nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw top five seasons coming. But if you, if you had the right overall approach, when you're doing multiple leagues, you give yourself a chance to hit on those guys at least somewhere. And, and that's the type of approach that I hope people can take into like future seasons where you know that you're not always going to get it right, but you put yourself in the position where you have a chance to get it right. That's exactly it. And I'll, and I'll, uh, it's fantastic points. And I love playing off of the, uh, off of ADP in drafts. So what I mean there is I'm not playing the ADP. Um, you know, if you go into a, an online draft room, you see the rank order of all the players. Uh, there's a psychology that takes over in a lot of leagues where, you know, with a few exceptions, people are taking one of the next best guys, which is based on ADP, which is not based on anything beyond usually consensus rankings. Um, and so if your research is better than the consensus, uh, you might be looking at a guy 10 picks later that you know you can't get later on, but you pounce on him. Uh, at that spot, even though he's ten, he's supposed to go ten picks later because you know you can't get him if he if if you wait. And so you know Cooper Cup for you at the back end of the fourth round is a good example of that you knew you had the strike. He was the best of of the remaining group. He was one of several guys who could produce, and he was the one left. And you and you jump on it. And I think there's a lot to that as we're going into these drafts, thinking about not where is the draft right now and who do I need to take of the top guys, but who are the guys who you really want? And when is your last moment that you can get them? Uh, because if you wait too long and someone else gets them, not only have they taken your guy, but they've taken a guy who's far more valuable than they realize. And that gives them a steep advantage because they've just gotten a bargain. And, and they might not even be aware of it. For them, that might have just been, eh, that was the best guy available. You need to be able to strike before it gets back to you in the next round because by then it might be too late. And part, um, of, part of doing that is understanding the type of league you're in and your league mates and their level of skill. Because yes. typically, if you're in a casual league, you're drafting on a, on a regular Yahoo or ESPN or platform. You, you have the list of, like you said, the best available players. And... You, you you have a guy that you know you want to take, but he's not on that list there. So it's kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing. So you need to be cognizant of, okay, once his That's name right. appears on that list, like, is that my time to strike? This, this There's the other side of that, which is, okay, I, I have a friend last year who was all in on Leonard Fournette. To his credit, he had him ranked like as a top 15 running back. Wow. It means he should have taken Fournette based purely on his rankings. If he's drafting with 11 other of him's, he's taking Fournette probably <laughs> in the second round. That's right. But – He's not drafting with only him. He's drafting with 11 other people who, who he knows don't have Fournette ranked that highly. So the question is, for him, once it hits round three, he's thinking, okay, I can take Fournette now and I'm okay with that. But he's not taking Fournette in round three. He, he needs to wait as long as he can to take him, but not too long to where he misses him. That's and that's right. another game you have to play where you try to maximize value in, in 
and getting other players that are still relative to ADP as being drafted where they should be, but also not waiting too long so you miss out on your guy that you know is going to smash ADP. Because if you can't get the ADP smash, then where's the value? If you That's took Fournette right. in round two last year, you killed all the value. That's you, right. You, you, need, you want to get that value of taking him in round six, but you don't want to wait till round six and have someone snipe you. So it, it's a constant, it's a constant game of uh, it's it's like it's like the poker analogy where it's like, okay, like what's level one thinking? What do I have? Level two thinking, um, what does he have? Level three thinking, what does he think I have? And you keep going back and forth with this until yeah. you until you reach like you know, it goes on forever, obviously, but at some point you gotta make a decision. And that's that's part of the skill in fantasy is is making those decisions uh, to the best of your ability. And I, and I would say this, just building off of what you're saying, it, it gets me thinking that the later I go in a draft, the the uh, earlier I'm willing to reach for a player that I really want. So, you know, in other words, if, if there's a guy who I'm ranking in the fourth round, uh, I'll reach for him in the third round. I'm not going to reach for him in the second. I think that's just too early. Um, it's It's not worth it to me to burn a second round pick on a guy that I could wait sometimes 15, 20 picks before I, uh, I reach, I, I get him, I'm still getting great value. But for example, Alexander Madison last year, I got him, I forgot if it was the eighth, ninth, 10th round. Um, I reached for him. Uh, it was like two or three rounds before his ADP. Because for me, it, why wait? Someone else is going to want to reach for him around early. So I'm going to want to reach for him two rounds early. And there might be someone else who's thinking, eh, I, I, I have Dalvin Cook. I kind of want to reach for for Madison. So I want to go three rounds early. You know, it's, it's that thinking where the later you go in a draft, the safer it is, the wiser it is, I think, to reach more for the players that you want later, because the value proposition is such that it doesn't make sense to, um, to try to cut it too close on a guy who might get you 160 fantasy points, because that 160 if it's concentrated like it does with Madison every year in two or three weeks where he gets 20 plus points in two or three weeks per week. And the rest of the time, he's just kind of skating by on six, eight points. You're drafting him for those big production weeks. It's totally worth it to reach a few rounds early for a guy like that. So I think that's, that's a big key for, for me anyway, with those later rounds is the later you go, the more you want to look at the guys that you really want on your team and just start grab one by one, starting in the eighth round, ninth round. Who cares if they're ranked in the 12th or 13th round? Just start taking them because if those are the guys you want, you can't afford to cut it too close because someone else in those later rounds is going to be thinking what you are much more likely than someone's going to be thinking the way you are in the third or fourth round about a player who's ranked maybe a fifth rounder, if that makes sense. And add, add really, to that, I mean, yeah. added to your point about that is – Typically, when we get to those later rounds, we've got a bunch of guys that we like that may not correspond with ADP. So let's say you have four guys that you really want, and their ADPs are like 11, 12, 12, and 13. Well, you can't wait to the 11th round because you can't get all of them because their ADP is now is now current. So you have to start taking them in the 8th or ninth right. round if you want to be able to get all four of them. That's right. And, and, and also, there's the psychology of the run on handcuffs. When, when people start snatching handcuffs, especially if – Someone sitting there, if they have, you know, take two years ago when, you know, Tony Pollard, the first time Tony Pollard was a big name in, in fantasy drafts, probably two years ago when it was clear he was the handcuff uh, for Zeke Elliott and he was he was going to be a good one. Um, if you wanted Tony Pollard, you had to contend with the fact that whoever had Zeke Elliott, if they didn't know what they were going to do in the eighth round, they would they might just say, eh, I'll take Pollard. 
and boom, your strategy's done. So you're you're also looking at your opponents. If you're if you're going that extra level, the cats is going in where he's playing poker. And it's what do they think I have and what do I think they have? And and how does you know this whole game theory around it? You could also go into the game theory of let's look in real time. If you have the time, look at the rosters of your players. Look who's drafting right after you. Um, and look at the starting running backs they have, your top handcuff targets, if you believe in those handcuffs, should be the handcuffs that they are for the starters that they have. Because you know that if you wait too long on those handcuffs, they're going to be gone. Start with the guys who are coming right after you so you don't have to worry about them poaching you. And then later you can sweep in and get some of the other handcuffs if the guys before you haven't gotten them. And I'll give you the last word, Katz. This has been a long episode, but I think a uh, an enjoyable one, at least for some of us. Uh, there's so much we can say about draft <laughs> strategy, and we will we will we'll get into it later in the offseason for sure, especially when drafts come around. Because I mean, just this conversation that started by by merely discussing the first round, it, it, it's it's snowballed into some more complex draft uh, strategy discussion and so much game theory and and just theory about fantasy in general. And there's so much more that I have to say that I can say on my thought process and what goes into my picks. Uh, It's just too much to cover in one episode, but uh, I'm really looking forward to really to diving into this stuff uh, in in a couple of months from now, it'll, when we have concrete players and ADPs and, and man, I I just, I'm really excited, but for now we're going to leave you with this. I, I, I appreciate it, Katz. Uh, this has been uh, uh, very thought-provoking. And, and I'll throw one thing out there and say a couple days ago uh, that basically said, uh, you know, fantasy is luck. And it really got to me because I think when I see that stuff, I know there are some people who do fantasy who might have lost this past, <laughs> past season and might agree. You know, yeah, fantasy is luck. I had bad luck and that's it. And it's a discredit to those who actually work their butts off and figure out competitive advantages. And what we're trying to do on this podcast, we don't have all the answers, but I think what we're trying to come at it with is there's a lot of luck involved, but if you don't have the understanding of why you're doing what you're doing and the logic that goes into making these decisions, then yeah, you've got a one in 14 or a one in 12 and one in 10 chance of winning every season. But I would submit that if you come in with, a much clearer understanding of the values of players, your strategy, how you can get a competitive advantage, you can close the gap on, you know, maybe it's not a 50% chance of winning, but I think you could have a you know 30% chance of winning consistently in leagues if you know what the heck you're doing compared to your opponents. I've mentioned this before to readers of the Facebook uh, blog for Pro Football Network. Um, I'm very transparent every year going back to 2012 when I started that blog about my fantasy, uh, you know, what I've done in my leagues. I used to compete in three leagues and I dropped it to two and lately I've just been doing one league the past few seasons. I've not missed a postseason since I started that blog in 2012. Why? Because that's when I started really focusing on trying to figure out differentiations, competitive advantages. What are other people doing that works? What are other people doing that isn't? How do I get smarter with with predictive analytics to try to figure out what decisions to make in drafts or during a season? How do I get better so that I can prepare myself for more consistent success? And I've not missed a postseason. I've been in some of the some really, really competitive leagues with some very notable people out there, some of the biggest names in the business and people who you've never heard of 
But the point is, these are competitive leagues. And getting the playoffs every year is not luck. Getting the playoffs every year requires a diligence that a lot of people don't have time for. But if you keep listening to this podcast, I guarantee you what we're saying will rub off on. Um, there is a logic to this. There is a process to this. Keep listening. Keep asking us questions. Again, I'm BJ Rudell. With me as always, Jason Katz, better known as Katz Pro Football Network. Find us, profootballnetwork.com, and we'll see you tomorrow.